This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what do you need to plan a good funeral for yourself and your family? Tanya Marsh, law professor and funeral expert, gives us the do's and don'ts of funerals and what you can do to have control over your end-of-life celebration, body, money, and avoid some of the nasty lawsuit stuff that happens afterwards. Looks like the war in Ukraine is about to enter a new stage. Stepan Berko, Kiev-based lawyer and advocate, gives us his reaction to Vladimir Putin's draft announcement, why Ukrainians are remaining calm despite escalated threats, get your pumpkin spice lattes and scarves out because it's time for the fall edition of game showy here on the shift daily podcast this is the shift podcast it's time for game showy that's right canada's favorite radio game show game showy on the shift here's your host Ryan O'Donnell! You're right, Bob. It's me, Ryan O'Donnell, here, hosting Game Joey for you. It's trivia time on The Shift. This is uh, our favorite segment. This is it. This is the thing we look forward to almost the most all week. And we work tirelessly to bring you the most riveting, exciting, and thought-provoking trivia on the radio. Which is why today's theme is all about changing of the seasons, the falling of the Leafs, fall. Here's how game show works. Falling of the Leafs? Is that was that a hockey slip up? Hockey reference. There, <laughs> what are you right? talking about? The, the Me, a bunch of Canadians fan, like insinuating that the that Maple Leafs are going to collapse. Slip out there? No. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Here is how Game Showy works. If you don't know, contestants, Shane and Brendan, are going to pick a question and difficulty for their question. Today we are playing, as it is fall, for pumpkin spice lattes. So one pumpkin spice latte would be an easy question. Three would be the hardest. Now, if you get it right, you get to hear this lovely sound. Ooh. Ooh, ah. You know what your winning sound should be? Like the barista mispronouncing somebody's name. Oh yeah. I get rain Is all the time and brain. brain. Or the or that sound of the steamer thing for the milk Ooh, when they do the Yeah. yeah. I, I I love that sound, but I bet it would sound like nails on a chalkboard on it. It would AM be radio. terrible for the radio. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Uh, now, what's even worse than that sound, though, is what you hear if you're wrong. Loser! 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 Wow. That is That's it. That's wrong. We're taking it up a notch here. Your opponent also has five seconds to steal if you get the answer wrong, and they can get the points. Now, our categories for today's questions are fall, according to Mother Nature, fall traditions and mm. fall in love with food Ooh, ah pun we also have dun, 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 the text line special a question for the listeners and the listeners only so i'm going to ask this question now and here's how it works. It is hidden in the show. It is randomly placed in here, which means a contestant will stumble upon it. And when that happens, you get to hear this lovely sound. Oh, isn't that awesome? And when that happens, that means it's time for the listeners to answer. Now, I'm going to 
actually ask the question now. So text it in if you know it, 877-399-9898. So here is the question. If you get it right, Canada, you could be the game changer for the contestants. Here is the question. This is from 2012. What was voted to be the most favorite pie amongst Canadians? What is Canada's most favorite flavor of pie? Is it apple, Saskatoon berry, pumpkin, or cherry? Once again, the options are apple, Saskatoon berry, pumpkin, and cherry. Text in the answer 877-399-98. And when we stumble across the text line special, the answer will be revealed and the points will either be given or taken away. And guess what? The contestants cannot answer it. It is only you. You are the only people listening, my shifthead friends. You will determine the uh, answer for that question. That's right. It's time to get started with game showing. If you want to contribute to the text or question, I'm going to give you the full number this time. 877-399-9898. Let us know Canada's favorite apple pie. And now back to the game. Ryan? You betcha, Bob. Okay, so last week, Brendan Kelly won the trivia showdown. So that means that Shane, yeah, sorry. Shane, you get to go first. You get first pick of our question. Where are we going? Well, when we play this game, and Brendan, can we play for like drinks and beers and stuff like that? And BK's like, I don't drink. I feel like I get BK's position here because I have pumpkin spice lattes. I'm like, who? Right? Too like, much sugar for me anyway. So I'm just going to get any latte. Any so I don't know. I feel inspired to compete here, but I'm also I'm a little more inspired to not lose again. Don't you want to win? So I'm, yeah. Give me the lattes. I'll drink them. You w- try to yeah. win. I, I just want yeah, well, I'll borrow your eighteen dollars to black, buy it. Black coffee for me. That's all I'll take. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's go. So, two pumpkin spice lattes, starting in the middle of the world here with uh, fall according to Mother Nature. Ryan. Ah, very good. Here is your question, Shane. What province in our beautiful country is responsible? For most of our pumpkins, what Ooh. province produces the most pumpkins in Canada? Is it Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Quebec? Uh, I'm going to go with the biggest province having the biggest pumpkins and the biggest pumpkin farms. So I'm going to go with Ontario. Right. Ontario is correct. That is correct. Yes. Of 5,742 hectares of pumpkin area in 2001, almost half of them were on 473 farms across southern Ontario alone. I would have thought it would have been Alberta, but it turns out our climate does not actually uh, complement pumpkins very well. Not enough water. Exactly. The water is huge. There are some thirsty veggies. Yeah, on Vancouver Island, uh, there's a big pumpkin farm in between Sydney and Victoria. And I would have thought that was a big contributor because when you drive by, it's just it's pumpkins as far as you can see. But Ontario is just so big, right? So big. Lots of food there. Okay, well, there you go. Two pumpkin spice lattes for Shane. Two to nothing. Brendan Kelly, where are we going? Uh, I guess I'll go with Paul Traditions for two Whoa, pumpkin traditions. spice lattes. 
or two. Let us ado this one. What festival in fall originates from a Celtic autumn tradition? Oh, I know. Is it? <laughs> okay, well, maybe other people don't know. I'm going to read it anyway, oh, okay. even if you know. Thanksgiving, the moon harvest, Halloween, or Imram? Well, Bob, it is Halloween. That is, that is correct, really? Bob. Yes. Yeah, one theory holds that many Halloween traditions were influenced by the Celtic Harvest Festivals, particularly the Gaelic Festival of Samhain, which is believed mm-hmm. to have had pagan roots. And originally they started with gourds and uh, uh, not pumpkins, but we kind of came up with the pumpkin thing. Right. So there you go. We got a tied right. game. Two pumpkin spice lattes each. All right, it's Game Showy, radio's favorite game show. I'm Shane Hewitt. I lose most of the time. That means BK wins most of the time. We'll refer to him as the enemy, by the way. You have a chance to contribute here on The Shift with our texting question of what is Canada's favorite pie. Uh, If you missed those uh, questions, 877-399-9898, what is the, um, the... uh, favorite pie, apple, pumpkin, Saskatoon berry, or cherry. Uh, you text in your answer, and you can uh, affect the outcome of this game. All right. 2-2, two, two, Ryan. Our categories yes, are fall according to Mother Nature, fall traditions, and fall in love with food. I am going to go with fall traditions for three pumpkin Ooh. spice lattes. This is a tough one. This is a tough question, Shane. We're going to go to probably the earliest fall tradition because the question involves ancient Greece. (laughs) Greeks had an interesting theory as to why fall happened. What started the changing of the season? So according to Greek mythology, when did autumn begin? Is it when the goddess of spring, Persephone, cried when hades abducted persephone when persephone died or when zeus rescued persephone from hades kidnapping well i would have guessed it would have been when the laurel wreath turned brown so (laughs) i'm i'm gonna go with what i used to do in math 30 and guess c because i have no idea who these people are no idea that is not a that's not right i'm sorry c is not correct that's rough brendan kelly you got five seconds to steal i know this it's when hades abducted persephone that is correct yes hades i don't know how to spell persephone goddess of spring persephone and decided through love to kidnap her uh, and yeah, eventually they fell in love, but Greek mythology yeah. is whack. So, uh, great, great story though. It's yeah. great. You're talking like, this is a guy who reads mythology and watched all YouTube channels about mythology and everything. So like, mm. thank you for putting that one in there. Non-collusion. Yeah. Not collusion. I never would have actually guessed that. No idea. Next up, I, Brendan I Kelly. I literally had no idea of any of those people that you just talked Even, about. Like, like honestly, I literally had no idea. No. Okay. Nothing. Okay. Nope. Well, now you learn. Nothing. You learn something new. Mm-hmm. Brennan Kelly, you're up five to two yeah. on the pumpkin spice latte front. Where are we going next? Uh, let's go with the category we haven't uh, done. Let's just fall in love with food for two. <gasps> well, well, well. 
you might be falling in love with this question or you might hate it because this, my friend, is the text line special. All right. So the question was, what is Canada's favorite pie? This is according to a survey from 2012. And the options were apple, Saskatoon berry, pumpkin, or cherry. Now, I will fully admit, I think all pies are insuperior insuperior compared to pumpkin. Pumpkin is the best. Okay? But... I took my bias out of this. Lake okay, superior? I just need was to make that, that clear. That, yeah. Was that another Greek character? Oh, yeah. Insuperior? Yeah, yeah. Insuperior. There's a band called Insuferum. That's kind of close to that. Now I have to say, this was incredibly close. When the text line first lit up after I asked the question, six people texted the incorrect answer, yeah. and I thought they were going to run away with it. Yeah. But, but we continued. And more and more people texted more opinions. Lots of people hate pumpkin pie, clearly, but lots of people love it too. But ahead by just four texts right at the clutch, the answer given by the texters was apple pie as the favorite. And that is the correct answer. Yes, apple pie was voted the favorite. I actually have some stats here 17% of Canadians chose apple pie as the favorite. Lemon meringue came in at second at 14%. Pumpkin pie was in fifth at 8%, which I think is low. But there you go. Brennan Kelly, you have the textures to thank for that one. Yeah, thank you, textures. And I just want to say, as far as collusion goes, I think, Shane, you may have been colluding against yourself when you repeated the text line special and you said, what is Canadian's most favorite apple pie? You no, actually, did I say you that? You said that. <laughs> <laughs> say that. No, oh, I didn't way. know the answer. Yeah. So. Wow! So yeah. you okay. actually you colluded against yourself there. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Oh, no, okay. I didn't even know the answer, so I guess that was a good guess. Damn it! Why couldn't I have got that one? Okay. Well, Let's Shane, you're still. We still have a game here. Now Brendan's up by a bit, but there's still some big value questions, and I will say there is a special extra category that has a question worth three points so there are more opportunities to win than before all right well i'm gonna go with uh, i've got to go big points here because i'm behind by like yeah. six five points so i'm gonna go fall five. according to mother nature for three pumpkin spice lattes here is your question do you want to know what is probably the most common thing about fall in canada the fact mm. that snow falls even though it's not supposed to so here's your question shane what province in our country gets the most amount of snow Knowing our luck, it's going to happen literally tomorrow. Here are your options. Alberta, Quebec, Newfoundland, or Nova Scotia? The most snow. I would say it's probably actually Quebec, but because Quebec is so incredibly populated in the lower part only, because Quebec was really, really high, right? Very. I would say that the rainstorms of Newfoundland turn to snow sooner than anywhere else because that's what I, I'm gonna that's what I'm guessing I imagine northern Quebec probably if that was counted I don't think that would be included because there's just not a lot of people but I'm gonna go with rainstorms turning to snow in Newfoundland that is correct Shane very good three pumpkin spice lattes for you in fact Canada's community that tallies the highest snowfall is the town of Woody Point Newfoundland which gets hmm. a on a typical winter they get up 
638 centimeters, 21 feet of snow in just 89 oh days. Wow. Yeah. Woody snow. Point, eh? Boy, Woody they got point. some. Yeah. They've got some strange. great names in that in yeah. there, don't they? <laughs> I love New that, <laughs> that, that town oh. definitely got bullied in high school. With that yeah, man. no kidding. Yeah. All okay, right. Well, we've got so a tighter the, game now. Brennan is ahead. It is game show here, and uh, we've got five, five, six, seven to five. BKs go. Uh, let's go with uh, fall in love with uh, food for three. For three. True or false, Brendan Kelly? Ooh. Oh, I hope you get true. it wrong because then I get it right. Okay, true yeah, or false. Well, okay. the, the rules on a steal on a true or false? That seems a little hey, man. bit. Yeah, that's that the way it goes. A little bit suspect, to be oh, honest. It's one yeah. rule. Yeah. Stealer. I didn't think about that. You yeah, know, it's, it's uh, well. It's, I don't uh, think you should be allowed to steal. Uh-oh. I don't. Hear this. Well, here's the thing. Confidence I determined the rules mm-hmm. and said it already. So next week we'll make the adjustment. But this week, sorry. And plus, I like no one rule, no exceptions. I'm sick. I'm calling appeals. No more no, rule saying, changes. Shane, I'm, no I appeals. Okay, from the guy who argues for rule changes religiously every single week. Now That's because the you're rules drawing keep the line changing. here. Ask the texters. The texters always they're always the same thing. How come the rules change all the time when Shane gets it wrong or stuff? Uh, no way. No more. Never it's, seen there's a, text a steal. Say that. There is a there's a trucker Dan support me. There is a there is a one rule is that if you get it wrong, it's a steal. That's the rule. That's the way it goes. True or false question. Let's go. Okay. Well, Brendan, here's your question. True or false. Over two and a half million turkeys die every year on Thanksgiving. Is it over or under? True or false? Uh, It's over. So what is that? So say the question again. You said over. (laughs) True, True or false. Over. Two and a half million turkeys die every year on Thanksgiving. Okay, true. That is correct. Yes. Over two and a half million turkeys die every single Thanksgiving, which is about 39% of all turkeys that are sold during a year. Almost 40% of their population die on one day. Yikes. Wow. That's not good. That's not good That's at all. That's very scary. Okay. We still well, there have we go. some time for some more questions here, Shane. No, we're done. We're out of time. We're going to hit it. We're out of time? We hit the bed. Oh, yeah, we are out of time. You hit the bed. Thank you for game showing. For the 17th week in a row, Brendan Kelly is the smartest guy in the room. He also reads about Greek mythology all the time. That's weird, am I right? Lisa! Lisa! <laughs> <laughs> uh, get, get your pet spader neutered. All right, there you go. That's Game Showy. Thank you so much for listening to The Shift. We will have another Game Showy next week. It's fun. Um, a couple other questions that were here that I think are really cool that I want to uh, touch on, right? because you did a lot of great work on these. Um, a lack of pigment of the leaves. What causes that? How about what's your answer there, right? What causes the leaves to go from green to change colors? It's a lack of chloroform from the sun. <sighs> That's cool. Um, Phil. Chlorophyll, not chloroform. That's the chloroform. Thing. No, that's what happened, Ryan. Yikes. <laughs> um, birds migrate for south for the winter. What else migrates south? Monarch butterflies. That's really cool, too, right? And, and like uh, retirees, too. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Snowbirds. <laughs> um, Ryan's other question What is my favorite type of jam? <laughs> Which it's raspberry because all other jam is gross, but raspberry jam is great. 
This is The Shift Podcast. Over the last week, we've spoken an awful lot about the Queen dying and all of those things in the news. It's raised a question. You know what we don't talk about? Us dying. It's an ugly conversation. It's something that we really don't want to get into a whole lot. But we probably should. It's inevitable. We all have it in common. It's kind of a one-shot deal. Although some people do get more than one chance at it. And you can't really change your mind about it after it happens. So let's talk about kicking the proverbial bucket, pulling the chute, kick it off, mailing it in, whatever it is you want to call it, dying. I know it's a, it's not a fun conversation for everybody, but it is the shift. And so we would like to be able to talk about it in a way that helps everybody look at this. And my guest is Tanya Marsh, professor of law focused on property, real estate, funeral and cemetery law. All of the things um, I find the funeral director world to be a strange one, Tanya, that you revolve in. Um, it's a, I always find it. I have no problem with death. I just find that going to work to that every day must be different. Is that something you get used to? Well, of course, I'm not a funeral director. I'm a law professor, so I don't have to go. I, guess <laughs> I don't so. have to go deal with that, right? So I, I kind of did put it. it all in one bucket, right? That it was like a right, like it was like that, like that one. I guess I imagine that you, as you know, in the law, yeah, that you would go into work, you'd have this organ music playing in your <laughs> office. That's probably not the case. Well, I think <laughs> see stereotypes. All lawyers have organ music playing. It's just part of the. Yeah part of the gig. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think the funeral industry or the death care industry is um, is really interesting because they're, you're right, like in broader society, we really have sort of a death avoidant um, culture, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, okay, we'll talk about it if we have to, but we do perceive of it as this like super serious um, conversation that we don't really want to have. Um, and, but in the, in the death care industry, those folks, they spend all day in it. So I think it sort of, um, inoculates them a little bit against sort of the, the day to day. I mean, they're not, I, I don't think they're overwhelmed with grief every day, but they're able to help people through it because they have a lot of experience in, in dealing with that. Right. You'd have to have a pretty tough armor, I think, to work in that industry. Yeah, I would say, right? Or be like magically psychology focused on, I don't know, avoidant and disassociative. Like there's got to be some, wow. Well, but I think that it's so important that we're having this conversation now and that you're picking up this topic um, because I think talking about death and the reality of it is the kind of thing that it gets easier the more people do it, right? So it seems like a really scary, gross um, depressing conversation to have, but the more that we kind of normalize it in conversation, then the better off we all are because the more planning we do, the better off everybody is, including those we leave behind. Right. And, and then the right. easier those conversations are. So you've inspired me right now. The, as you said that, what came to me was how do we talk about this in a way that it would be inspiring? So I'm going to open up this question to the audience, 877-399-9898. What do you want your wake party, whatever your party celebration, your party to look like, because we can talk about that, right? When I die, all my friends are getting drunk at the bar or whatever. We can say that that part's easy. So I'm going to open that up to the audience right now for calls and texts. And then after we're visiting with Tanya, then we'll get into that part, because if that's the access point, then it is. And so for me, I don't know if I imagine it being this incredibly formal 
moment in time where everyone's all in suits and da 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 fancy fancy. I feel like I just want to have a bunch of people over to the house. What would it look like for you, Tanya? Just personally, if you can take off your law hat for a second and put on your Tanya hat. Oh wow! And I'm such a bad um, example of this because I've done no pre planning. <laughs> so yeah, but, well, no, but that's so true. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I I'm not a dressy formal person. So I think forcing everybody to attend a dressy formal event would not really uh, sort of be a good memorialization of me. Right. So I I would want Mm -hmm. people, you know, to, you know, gather together and talk about the good times and focus on positive and moving Mm -hmm. forward. And right. I mean, so yeah, yeah, that could be, I feel like doing some of my favorite things, right? Like you know, schedule a weekend of, Hey, everyone, you're coming. Yeah. This is the plan for the weekend. We're going to go for a walk to this waterfall. Cause Shane loves waterfalls. We're going to go yeah. um, golfing. We're going to like, here's the activities. Yeah. Do what you wish. Here's where the dinner and the meals are. That to me sounds cool. So if that's your access point to get this conversation started, let's, let's get into it. What do we need to know? What should we be looking at here when it comes to the law? And I'm guessing once we're dead, we don't get much of a say. Well, <laughs> that's that's a whole a uh, whole question. You don't get much of a say um, once you're dead, but um, <clears throat> in in most jurisdictions, you can leave binding instructions for what you want to have with the disposition of your remains. And so it, but I mean, even if you know outside the law and those binding instructions, sort of the moral weight of what you wanted is very influential on those you leave behind, right? In terms of what they do, but I think you know, what you've sort of alluded to is there's two separate decision points. One is the actual disposition of remains and what you do. And we can talk about those options if you want to. And the second is the memorialization aspect. And there's no law about the memorialization aspect. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to have a funeral. Um, You don't have to do anything or you can have a party. You can do anything that is fitting and appropriate for the person. And I think that our society has opened up quite a bit in the last couple decades in terms of sort of appropriateness and acceptance acceptance of, you know, people don't have memorial services necessarily at the funeral home anymore, and then at a church, and then maybe the graveside, there's all kinds of different stuff. And with cremation rate as high as it is, there's a lot of delayed memorializations, right? So Mm -hmm. death occurs, then there's cremation, and then, okay, well, now let's go plan a party, you know, on the year anniversary of the death. And, you know, and so that's a totally different vibe, right? Yeah. So what about, um, I'm getting, it's so different because you're down in the States, but um, state to state, I would imagine it's different province to province here in Canada. That's correct. That when it comes to human remains and what has to be done with them, I mean, is it generally accepted that it's legal to take, you know, Uncle Bob's ashes and sprinkle them from a helicopter? <laughs> like, or is that stuff really frowned upon and really not okay? Yeah. I mean, the general rule was certainly in the United States, and I believe it's true in Canada as well, is that you can um, spread cremated remains on private property with the permission of the landowner. So I would say if you're spreading them from a helicopter, you want to make sure, you know, where, where you're spreading them over Look is, down. Uh, yeah. you know, it, now, I yeah. mean, like government owned land, et cetera, and, and some protected land, um, that may not be possible. It, it sort of just depends. Like in the United States, there's some national parks that say it's fine and others that say it's not because they get so many cremated remains and they're not great for the environment because the yeah. uh, the pH is not super compatible with plant life. So, um, I didn't know that either. Yeah. How about that? We're not really pushing up daisies in that case then, are we? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. Want, if you want a tree to grow after you die, um, it's not going to grow from your cremated remains. 
I did. I do like that too. By the way, there's uh, you hear people do that when babies are born, when the grandbabies are born, like yeah. they plant a tree for every grandbaby. Yeah. And sometimes you hear some families will do that. They'll plant a tree for to memorialize all the, you know, that's you know, Auntie Susie's tree over there, and you know, all that stuff. I mean, so there are some really cool ways to do this. Oh, what absolutely. do we really need to know? Uh, Tanya Marsh is here, and we're talking about death. We're talking about you know the hard stuff. What do we need to know? Because right now I'm divorced. I have my two kids, so it's just me. My sister basically uh, gets the um, the field of all insurance things, of where mm-hmm. things get dealt with by. Mm-hmm. So that's her problem, not mine. But what do I really need to know? What are the mistakes that guys like me make that we just don't pay attention to that would make this so much easier after we kick off? Well, I think one of the hardest things for family members, um, you know, especially if a death is unexpected, is trying to guess what the right thing to do is by that person, right? And so, especially if uh, in a situation like yours, you have multiple family members who might have some input in it. I think the most important thing and the most loving thing any of us can do for our family is to make sure they know while we're still here, what it is that we want. And so they're on all on the same page. And that's not a, a point of like tension, right? Mm-hmm. So if, because the, the problems arise when you have one person that says, oh, I think they really want to be buried. And this is where they want to be be buried and somebody else says, no, no, I think they want to be cremated and here's where the ashes should be spread, right? That's sort of a decision that needs to be made fairly quickly after death. And so you already have heightened emotions, people are upset. And so then to have that as a conflict point is a is not a great thing. So I think it's it's better for us to you know, think about what we want, or if we don't, if, if we don't care, genuinely don't care, and many people don't, you know, communicate that, but that doesn't really solve potential conflict, right? It's, it's sort of better, even if you don't care to just say, well, I'd really just like you to do X, Y, Z, right? That's my, that's my path. That's my plan. People will follow that. Um, and then they don't have to make a lot of decisions when they're struggling with grief. How much, um, and I don't think you deal with it directly, um, correct me though, please, is that conflict in this wills, disputes, all that stuff. Um, does that really a Hollywood look at these things or does it actually happen all the time? I'm sure that through your circle of colleagues, at least you, you can see that. No. Yeah. It happens all the time. I mean, people, really, eh? I, and, um, is it like, I want, I want the record player. You get the car. Like, is it, or well, is it what it really is, is who did mom or dad love more? Right. Who did? Oh. <laughs> and so then, but I mean, especially when it's parents that go and there's multiple children, I mean, then especially when you have blended families, you can imagine how complicated it can get. This is like the last proxy battle, right? This is the last opportunity we have. What I'm really upset about is you got an ice cream cone when you were 12, you know, and I didn't or something, or you got a yeah, birthday oh, yeah. present, right? Yeah. And now yeah. this is our last yeah. chance to even it all out. And so people aren't necessarily conscious of that, but it's amazing how small the stakes are of these kinds of disputes that occur remarkably frequently. So the best thing that we can do is try and head off all that conflict, right? Because it's really misdirected grief. And of course, people are kind of, you know, dealing with it. They're trying to express how bad they feel, right? And that's that's the sort of path that it takes. So we can try and head all that off just by engaging in pre-planning. Well, and I hear that part, and I, it's probably a far too philosophical conversation for the time we have today. But the, I mean, 
the the healthy human part, like the mental health, the mm. spiritual health part is so important. I can hear that over and over again, even in just what we're talking about, right? Like uh, the last thing that mom left me was reminding me that you were the favorite. Right. right? And that, that insecurity part, I mean, that in itself, just in the philosophy of it, is so important that we get into that ourselves today, the insecurity, because of what it can avoid down the road. So let's just acknowledge that. Um, right now and just hopefully inspire people to kind of dig into those questions. But it, it, like, I don't know, like you just, you, people get shallow, people grieve differently, people go through everything differently. There's unexpected things that come up. In blended families, there must be some real battles about exes and everything too. For example, blended family, two kids each, right? Yeah. Even if they divided everything in half and you know one set of kids gets half one set of kids gets half everything's even there can be those peripheral no longer family member people that are going well wait a second sure that money came from here and then went into that family and then gets divided so you should have more right and do those outside influences try to step into this too oh sure everybody <laughs> everybody okay. i mean you know these are the some of you the messages mess- yeah. we're on a zoom call and you had a real look of disappointment in your eyes as soon as i said that i have to <laughs> say that for everybody <laughs> yes of course everybody i mean everybody's got an opinion everybody gets involved and these things are just s- sort of the messiest legal disputes are the ones that are inside family Right. Because, again, it's small stakes, you know, usually from sort of an outsider perspective, it doesn't make any logical sense that people would spend resources and take this stuff to court. But those are usually the most bitter kinds of battles. Right. And and to your point about blended family, you know, two kids each one of those two adults is going to die first. Right. Right. So you have a surviving spouse and you have four kids. And so then what's the next step? Right. How much does a surviving spouse get? How much do the kids get? It's not like they're both, you know, typically going to die at the same time. And then you're splitting everything between the four kids. What do you mean? That's the plan. (laughs) That's That's the the whole plan. plan. It's like the notebook. That'd be more convenient. All right. That's that's the notebook. Um, But I get that too. Right. Okay. So now I've got four kids. Two of mine are biological. Two are not even legally step. Right. Right. Um, Legally adopted or anything. They're just my dead wife's kids. Right. Now they have to be taken care of as well. Uh, I did have this question for you. Social causes would be another one. Mm. You start to see more of this come up today as we become socially more conscious in the world. Uh, I think the the owner of Patagonia just did his yeah. trust and and left everything to a trust to protect the business, uh, not even in the same way that you know the you would think the family. And I'm sure that family's protected just fine. Right. But um, but just in that case, there could be a nugget of surprise that's like, by the way, everything's going to Felix the cat. Right. And right. And his new scratching post memorial. And that must be strange. Uh, Cats cannot inherit. Okay. (laughs) In either the United States or Canada. No, nor dogs. Sorry. Um, Although people dogs are winning that because dogs are my favorite. (laughs) But people have tried. You can you can create this thing called an animal support trust to take care of your companion animal. But I mean, taking care of companion animals, too, is a whole is a whole huge issue. Right. Like, do you? What's going to happen to uh, beloved pets that if who's going to take care of them, et cetera, are there going to be assets to do it? So, I mean, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff you got to think through and there's just so much uncertainty. Um, But you definitely do see a lot of planned charitable giving that's part of estate planning, especially if um, you're dealing with older people and their kids are adults and established and, you know, 
aren't counting on some kind of windfall from their parents, right? Like they have their own lives. Um, and so that gives people some freedom. I mean, Warren Buffett too has said he's going to, he's not leaving his children anything except what he's already given them, but mm-hmm. his, his kids are in their fifties and sixties, you know? So. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure they've done pretty well so far. Yeah. I think, I think, so, I, I don't think they're hurting. I guess they probably get some stock tips from dad. Yeah. And just, you know, <laughs> just throw that out there. Okay. Well, so if short of conversation and getting this started, Tanya, I mean, what, if we have to start somewhere, what, what's the real, the thing? Cause I mean, you've got everything you've got. Where do you bury me? How do you bury me? Um, what do you do? Where do you party? Where does the money go? Um, who has to deal with, you know, the legalities of, oops, I signed a really stinky deal on a loan. Yeah. Um, all of that stuff is there. How do we start this short of the conversations? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, if we could start with one step, what should you and I do? Well, as far, so you got to deal with the property and then the funeral and disposition separately, right? So for for your property and that kind of estate planning, people should go to a lawyer at, who mm-hmm. is an expert and understands the rules and can help walk you through. They're usually um, people who have an estate planning practice are going to have really comprehensive tools to help you think through all the stuff it's never occurred to you to think about. Um, and you'll walk out of that with a much better organized sort of personal financial um, you know, system. So that's a, that's a good step for people to do. As far as the funeral and disposition, I mean, yeah, I think, I think people need to think about, is this important to me personally? Right. Do I want to, um, do, is it important to me that I be buried in the same cemetery as my parents? Right. Or some historically significant place for our family. Is that important? Or it, I don't, I don't want that. And it's important to me to go down this other path. I mean, we have all kinds of things now. Green burial is increasing in popularity. Um, in, uh, Washington state, uh, Oregon, Colorado, and as recently as this week, California, they have legalized natural organic reduction, which is composting human remains. If you're, if you're into green, that it doesn't get much greener than that. Um, (laughs) Well, no, that's, I get it. I just, it just, just caught me off guard a little bit. You want to grow a tree. That's how you grow a tree. You, uh, uh, you get comp. So anyway, so if it's important Mm. to people to do one of those things, then they should figure out what their options are and you don't have to prepay but you can pre-plan, right? And leave a letter to your loved ones and say, this is important to me and this is what I want to have happen. Or if it's important that certain things not have happen, but then you don't care beyond the rest, you know, leave leave those instructions too. You can prepay for that stuff, but you don't have to. I think it's more important um, that people just figure out what their options are and if to the extent they have preferences to express them. All I can think about is someone walking by my garden and going, how do you get those tomatoes so big? <laughs> it's like Uncle Henry. <laughs> we'll see. Um, that That's a positive legacy in the world. <laughs> I guess so. And last, of course, would be the ugly one, would be the taxes. Different yeah. in every state, different in every province, all of those things, different in every country. Yeah. But <clears throat> we should probably get in front of a tax expert to realize that maybe it's best to sell the house sooner if you can trust or joint bank accounts and all of those things, depending on where you are, they could be more official. Yeah, it all, it, it, it all matters on sort of what your financial picture looks like. Um, and then again, as we were saying, blended families, what the family situation is, there's just so many variables that go into it. And so and location. Um, so an estate planning attorney will be able to help people think through all of that because they th- this is what they do every day so they um they can help with all that planning mm-hmm. well you and i both have not really got anything done around this so we probably should take that <laughs> on ourselves i would say hey we, we better get on it 
Good start. Well, maybe we've inspired everybody else. And the question for you is exactly that. Tell me, what does your party look like? If you're going to have the big send off on the big day, what does that look like for you? How do you want to plan it? Maybe we can put our heads together and come up with some good ideas and inspire somebody else to just get the conversation going. 877-399-9898, our phone number. Tanya Marsh, uh, professor of law, property, real estate, all of those things around the death. You're very delightful and lively. When I'm, I'm really enjoyed this. Well, thank so you that's very really much. Great. That's great. Thanks for being here. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. As we continue to do here on the Shift, keep the conversation of Ukraine alive and well. It's one of the things that sort of, you know, fades away a little bit for some people. And I really admire the people that keep the conversation alive. Uh, it, uh, we've met some amazing people. It's just that simple. Stepan Berko is a lawyer, advocate, all those things. I mean, Kiev, Stepan, how are you? Hey, Shane. I'm, I'm doing good. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Um, here in Canada today, we are seeing some nice warm weather to end summer as we tiptoe our way into fall here in the next couple of days. How are things for you uh, in Kiev? Is it uh, is it turning out to be uh, a beautiful um, um, fall or at least beginning of fall for you? I know that you've shared with us that the opportunity to get outside with friends is so much more important these days as these dark things happen around you. You know, we, we, we've got uh, a gloomy and uh, rainy uh, fall already, so it's, it's a bit cold and windy. Uh, but, uh, still, uh, I mean, it, it's good that at least we don't have that many, uh, um, air raid alerts in Kiev. So this gives us the opportunity to have a walk and enjoy even this rainy and gloomy weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've shared with us that um, that your your son going to kindergarten and going to school, the hardest thing about being a dad was, of course, those air raid sirens, right? Um, trusting that all of the teachers and school people will take care of the children when those things happen, because you gotta, you know, that's gotta be difficult to not be around for that. Um, how are you handling it, and how is everything shaping up for you? Uh. I think everybody got used to to the fact that that there might be uh, uh, these sirens and we we just have to follow some rules. So the kids are uh, aware of that and the parents uh, are aware and and the teachers. So it's just the new new normal. Mm -hmm. We've heard in the news a lot, Stepan Berko, who's in uh, Kyiv, that, you know, um, winter in Ukraine. Winter in Ukraine. We're almost to winter in Ukraine when it comes to the invasion from Russia on Ukraine. Um, can you help us understand for those who are just joining us and haven't been a part of our conversations for the last six or seven months here, Stepan, what does winter in Ukraine look like? You know, now with, uh, with the climate change, it differs, uh, from year to year, but, uh, usually it's, uh, uh, up to 25 uh, minus 25 degrees Celsius, uh, but not always. I mean, this is like uh, the the coldest days. But usually, winter is uh, minus 10 Celsius. 
Stepan Berko joins us from Kiev, Ukraine, on the phone now. Uh, UN Assembly conversations, um, just punishment for Russia. There's been a lot of changes in the last couple of days in the news. Um, before we get into the specific step, and I thought I would just open it up uh, for you to share your thoughts over the last couple of days uh, of the news of the invasion in Ukraine. W- what stands out for you the most? Uh, I think the the biggest news uh, that we that we uh, in Ukraine uh, received just uh, last night was that we managed to. So there was a like a prisoner swap or um, prisoners of war swap. And those 200, among those, among them, are uh, the top um, leaders of uh, our uh, garrison of uh, Azovstal uh, that were fighting and defending Mariupol. And this is like a big news and big victory, and uh, for for all Ukrainians, the people are overwhelmed with the fact that uh, uh, our leadership made it possible for these people to come back home. Um, unfortunately, not all of uh, Ukrainian soldiers that are right now in Russian captivity managed to to escape. But still, this is a good sign uh, that uh, Ukrainian government, Ukrainian, Ukrainian armed forces are capable of getting our people out of out of out of Russian captivity. So this is like a number one news right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we are hearing an awful lot about Russia's drafting and conscripting 300,000-plus soldiers. To me, I was trying to anticipate, okay, what's Stepan going to say about this? I was trying to anticipate that that is a sign of the weakness of the current state of Russia. Unfortunately, though, if they bring a bunch more soldiers to the border, um, that pendulum can swing just by the number of people they're talking about. Is this something that uh, the narrative uh, landing in Ukraine with Ukrainians, uh, the possible um, increase of more soldiers from Russia? Shane, of course, this is also on the news. But I would say that Ukrainian reaction is really calm. So both uh, in public, general public and in military, everybody is saying that, okay, we managed to defend ourselves uh, ourselves with uh, against these uh, uh, 200,000 that uh, invaded in February. And it seems that uh, the fact that uh, Putin is drafting new uh, 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 300,000 soldiers, this means that uh, he lacks uh, the manpower. uh, And that means that Ukrainian uh, armed forces and other uh, military formations are able to withstand this pressure and uh, we will do the same with the new uh, with the new hundreds of thousands of soldiers that he sends. We have no other choice because this for us, this is the war for existence. And um, if they are raising numbers of soldiers uh, that are going to fight, uh, maybe we maybe Ukrainian government will also organize a new wave of mobilization and conscripts. Uh, this is just, uh, you know, this is an a- inevitable part of our life right now. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I, I assume that it would be a view of weakness, sort of like you said, right? That it actually could mean for some celebration of the um, accomplishments of the military that's there. Now, in regards to Stepan Berko, who's in Kiev, the, in regards to Russia and voting, now, 
I, I have shared here on the shift that it seems like every time Russia holds an election, the winning guy, Putin, always wins by 80% of the Democratic vote, which is not very Democratic. Belarus, same thing, 80% vote for the president there. So it seems like the winner is always 80%. Can't trust any democracies actually happening. Now they're talking about in some of the occupied territory inside Ukraine, holding elections, votes, to see if you want to be part of Russia. And then once they do that, then all of a sudden they can claim, well, Ukraine's invading Russia. This has been the vote. Now, we all know that's not going to be democratic. We know that it's fake. We know that it's a lie. But in English, the cliche we would use for that is moving the goalposts, meaning that they're changing the rules as they go. It seems like they truly think the rest of the world is so stupid that nobody can recognize that they're simply trying to make excuses because they they seem to be losing so badly. I don't know. I just, as Ukrainian, I would imagine the focus is to get back the territory that has been lost, regardless of all this, because it's just political. What are your thoughts? Um. I agree with you, Shane, that this is a sign of weakness. This, uh, they are trying to do anything to convince themselves that uh, these new decisions will help them somehow hold the territory they already occupied. But for Ukraine, it doesn't matter how you call this territory, part of Russia or some new fake independent countries. For us, it's internationally recognized territory of Ukraine and our armed forces are fighting for it. I would also say that these new uh, fake referenda are also going to help uh, what I anticipate uh, uh, help Ukraine to um, pursue uh, our foreign partners to be um, less afraid of Ukraine uh, fighting back uh, and uh, deoccupying Crimea. Because for years we've been hearing that, okay, uh, Crimea is a totally different situation because Russia believes it's part of Russia. And if you fight uh, and you try to get it back militarily, this might lead to some uh, escalation and uh, some use of uh, uh, extremely uh, deadly weapons or whatever. But now, when everybody sees, everybody, I think, uh, in the Western world also sees that Russia is willing to use uh, the same status of being part of Russian territory for newly occupied territories. Uh, this also uh, means that uh, uh, there is no difference between Crimea and uh, these newly occupied territories, and that Ukraine can fight and militarily uh, take back all of its uh, all of its occupied territories, including Crimea. So I I think from the from the legal point of view and from the point of view of international support of Ukraine. This is a, uh, a thing that will uh, help us uh, take uh, Crimea back. Stepan Berko is in Kiev, Ukraine. When this all started, Stepan, uh, you had shared with us that you went to Lviv. Your family left the country. You were there. You did get time with your father. And one of the blessings that came out of this was the magic of time with your father and being close. Hello. How, how is your dad? How's he doing? Um, he's doing good. Uh, you know, he's trying to live, uh, his life, uh, I mean, as normal as it could be, uh, doing job, uh, 
if he, even with my mom, they managed to go to the opera house last weekend. So oh, wow. uh, I would say that uh, some things, uh, some normal things are coming back. And that's a good sign uh, that despite this uh, uh, threats, uh, d- despite the mobilization in Russia, despite these uh, atrocities that were uncovered in newly liberated cities, people in, in, in uh, free cities of Ukraine, uh, they try to support our military and at the same time live their lives. Does your dad always bother you and say, "Why don't you just move to Lviv? Why don't you just come here?" Does he is he does he bother you, the fact that you're back in Kiev? Oh yeah, that that topic comes up uh, from time to time. But um, since uh, Russian rockets can fly both to Kiev and Lviv, it really from the from the security uh, perspective, it doesn't matter where you live. So. Um, I, I would even say that maybe sometimes uh, Kiev is more safe place than Lviv um, well, it's because c- it's a capital. It's a um, yeah, more security. That's for sure. It's very interesting. It's really nice to hear those real life stories that your dad and your mom get a chance to go to the opera house. Uh, that's beautiful, and I love it. Thank you for being here with us. It's great to hear your voice again, and. Um, I hope the rain goes away because we've had a bunch of sunshine here. It's been quite beautiful, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Stepan. Thank you, Shane. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.